Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, missionary to Zimbabwe, Africa, sent out of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. There is no people on earth with a more ancient religious history and culture than the Jewish people. Attitudes toward mission work among the Jewish people have tended toward two very different extremes over the course of church history. At one time, large segments of the professing church virtually scoffed at the idea of Jewish evangelism, a development that, in my view, is a tragically unbiblical manifestation of anti-Semitism. On the other hand, with the birth of the modern state of Israel and a renewed awareness within the church of God's purposes for the Jewish people, many have emphasized the promises of the Abrahamic covenant, namely God's blessing upon those that bless Abraham's seed, to the neglect or willful ignorance of the Great Commission as applied to the Jewish people. Brother Mo, as we'll call him for this interview, has ministered among the Jewish people in the land of Israel since 2015. He is a zealous and thoughtful Christian, and in this first segment of my two-part conversation with Brother Mo, he and I discuss the proper way to think about Jewish missions and striking the proper balance between the motive of covenantal blessing and faithfulness to the Great Commission. I think Brother Mo's perspective on this subject is insightful, but first he relates the story of his calling and preparation for mission work, which included being discipled and trained under an American missionary on a different foreign field. I think you'll really enjoy both the testimony of how God got Brother Mo to the field of Israel and how he understands the proper balance and emphasis when it comes to Jewish evangelism and missions. This is the first of a two-part series on ministering in Israel, and with that introduction, let's get right into the conversation. Brother Mo, I have been looking forward to this conversation talk to you about several different aspects of ministering in Israel, but I think that your testimony just uh, generally in relation to missions is really a, a really interesting story of missionary outreach and missionary fruit. Uh, all of us, of course, are the product of missions to some extent or another, but I think uh, your story is a is a really interesting one in that regard because you went, if I recall, from serving in the U.S. military to receiving some Bible training in a German church under an American missionary, and now you're serving yourself in the country of Israel. So as a starting point, brother, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about how you were converted and how the Lord got you to where you're ministering to Israelis today. Sure. So uh, I received the Lord Jesus Christ uh, later in my life. I was uh, 24 years old at that point, uh, married, had two children, uh, was stationed in Germany uh, at the time. And uh, my wife was, uh, she was born again when she was a teenager, about the age of 16, uh, but was uh, backslidden, just didn't have good uh, examples at home, didn't have a good environment and kind of ran from it and ran right into me for better or for worse. And, uh, you know, we did the typical, uh, you know, uh, you believe in Jesus. Yeah. You believe in Jesus. Yeah. Okay. And that was the, the, the depth and breadth of our spiritual conversation when we got married. And, uh, when the military transferred us to Germany, uh, that is when the Lord really started to get a hold of my wife. And, uh, once my wife, uh, uh, turned back to him, then she looked at me, her husband realized that, uh, you know, even though we made that very shallow, uh, 
confession of believing in Jesus, there was uh, no fruit, there was no spiritual activity, and and she began to minister to me uh, in the way that the, the scriptures say you're supposed to in that situation. There's a, that uh, chase conversation of the wife, yes. and uh, she. It was uh, November of 2004. She 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 rented a, a movie called The Passion of the Christ, uh, which is not uh, you know a great movie for Bible Institute. Uh, it's not not where we get our theology, our doctrine from. Right. But it did do two things that were very effective for me, and that was it was an extraordinarily long movie, uh, and it was a, a pretty graphic movie. And so what it did in my heart was it gave me a a long period of time at one sitting to to consider even visually. A, a bit of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for me. And uh, so after that movie, I just excused myself, went upstairs in my bedroom, kind of got in between a little crawl space between my bed and the wall, enough enough room for my body there. And I just had really the first uh, genuine one-to-one conversation with the Lord that I can recall I've ever had. And uh, at that point, realized that, you know, even though at that, I was, had a very successful military career at that point, I would have considered myself to be a good and responsible husband and father and, uh, you know, all the things that, you know, you uh, t- would typically list as being I'm a good person. And I said, Lord, if what you did, uh, if that movie displayed a, a tenth of what you did or what, what you required for, for righteousness, for salvation, for sin, uh, then I surely can't pay that and nothing I can ever do will pay that. And so, uh, you know, I, I arose up from that little cross space, a new creature in the Lord. And Amen. It was about a year after that we found uh, what was uh, what was our home church. And again, uh, my wife was the one who found it for us while I was deployed to Afghanistan. And when I came back and she was, again, very ginger, I was still a very, very new baby Christian. And, uh, you know, she's from the South, so she was used to a little bit more uh, rambunctious, a little bit more gregarious style of preaching and teaching. And, uh, you know, I was just looking for, you know, I was looking for a man, a pattern, a role model that I could relate to somebody that I could aspire to be for, for lack of a better word. And, uh, we visited, uh, the church there in, uh, in Heidelberg, Germany. And the pastor who was uh, again, an American missionary married to a German, I uh, started that church uh, about uh, five years prior, almost six years prior, and uh, I just, you know, it was it was straight, plain, relatable, if I can use that term, Bible teaching and preaching that just made sense, and uh, I got hooked on the Word of God there and uh, got my Bible training. I had a, he had a Bible institute there, and got my Bible training there, and uh, you know, it was it was off to the races ever since. You know, we were very, it was very practical. Everything that we were being taught was not only being uh, executed, uh, but it was being executed in a foreign country. You know, I learned how to do public ministry in a foreign country. I mean, public ministry is one of those things that can be challenging to the newcomer, no matter where you are, even if it's in a place you're extremely familiar with and comfortable with. But yeah. in, you know, foreign languages and, and, and all the different nuances that come with that. Um, so literally all of my Bible training and, and Christian experience came on the foreign field, which ended up, of course, being uh, very unique and extremely um, instrumental in preparing us for doing what we're what we're doing in Israel today. That's a great story, brother. You you may have heard uh, me relate an experience that I had uh, some years ago in Zambia, Africa. It's the first time that the Lord had dealt with my heart about uh, Southern Africa and the country of Zimbabwe in particular. 
And I had met a, a Filipino brother there that in Zambia that had been converted under an American missionary and raised up under an American missionary in the Philippines. And then he and his brother had been sent out to various parts of the world. Brother, that those kinds of stories, and yours is different, obviously, but nevertheless, for you to fall in with this Bible-believing uh, missionary, foreign missionary, American missionary serving in Germany, and then for that to reproduce a, another labor that's going to another part of the world, those kinds of instances thrill my heart because that is missionary multiplication. That is reproduction, and that is the way that it's supposed to work. And I, I always, my heart always thrills to hear of those stories. So, brother, you got your you got Bible training there under that American missionary. He taught you evangelism. He taught you doctrine. Um, probably a lot of really important practical elements of just living the Christian life. So, how did the Lord deal with your heart about ministry and mission, and in particular, how did God put it on your heart to go to the land of Israel? Well, I, I remember not long after I attended, I began attending that church. Uh, you know, again, it was it was a smaller church. It was a it was a missionary minded church. There was it was not the place where you could just be comfortable sitting in the back row, and and you know, supping from the bottle. You know, we it was there was always an encouragement, a pressure, a healthy pressure, to be active in 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 any way you possibly could. And uh, about a year after. Um, we had a, a preacher from the U.S. come in and uh, you know, preach a special meeting for us, which, again, this was a, a new concept for me as a, as a new believer. And uh, the Lord started dealing with my heart about uh, about ministry and about leadership and about being more involved. And uh, after that meeting, I remember I, I went to my pastor and I said, uh, I said, Pastor, I believe the Lord uh, uh, wants me to preach. Uh, wants me to, you know, serve him full time in the ministry. And I remember my pastor asked me what, what I'm sure to him was a very normal question, but for me was a, was a jarring question. And that question was very simply, well, amen, brother, where do you think the Lord would have you to serve? And again, at face value, that does not seem, that seems like a very natural question. But for me, it was, my thought process instantly was, I'm an American. I like America. I like the language because I know it. I like the culture because I know it. I like barbecue. I like football. I like American things. Right. And so uh, there was there was no thought whatsoever, brother, that I was going to go anywhere else but back to America. I mean, I was living in Germany at that time as a, as a service member. I was happy with that, but I was very, very comfortable and ready to go back home. And, and so I, I essentially said those words uh, in, in some way to my pastor. <laughs> and I remember he just kind of, you know, kind of nodded his head uh, and looked at me and said, okay, well, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> and and the, the, the subtle or not so subtle hint was, you know, the Lord calls you. Um, the Lord has full ownership of that call. It's not, I'm going to call you to something and then I'll let you pick you know, from this, you know, cornucopia of options like a typical American at the Walmart. And I, I got the hint. I got the hint very, very quickly at that point that, oh, maybe it's not a matter of the Lord calls me and I get to pick where on planet Earth or in what what part of the ministry um, I, I feel like serving him. And so uh, a couple of years after that, I'm, I'm in Salem Bible Institute. Uh, I'm deployed on my second deployment to Iraq. I was just about an hour north of Baghdad. And I was coming up on my the end of my uh, current enlistment. And again, my career was 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 going very, very well. And, uh, but I'd learned enough at this point that uh, the Lord gets to call the shots 
And I was praying and fasting uh, and seeking the Lord there, literally out in the desert, and uh, asking him, Lord, what do I what do I do? Do I reenlist? Do I uh, you know separate? Do I go back to the U.S.? Do I stay here in Germany? What do, What do you want me to do? And I was reading over in the book of Amos one morning and just had one of those moments where you're reading and, uh, you know, the, the Holy Spirit kind of says, oh, you might want to go back and look at that passage that you just read because there's something there for you. And I was reading over in Amos chapter seven and uh, it talks about, uh, you know, uh, the Lord took me as I followed the flock and uh, I, I kind of was arrested on that passage. There's that half of, uh, of verse f- uh, 15. And, uh, and I thought about, you know, the, the, the biblical typology, the flock and who's the flock, the sheep, the, the shepherd, the great shepherd. And, and, uh, I said, the Lord took me as I followed the flock and, and all my life, I'm a military brat. Um, you know, both my father and my stepfather retired 20 plus years in the, in the military. And so almost all of my life, I've been where I went, who I followed was uncle Sam. Uncle Sam told my, my father to go somewhere. That's where we went. Um, when I became an adult, when I joined the military at the age of 20, then it was the same thing where Uncle Sam told me to go. That's where I went. And uh, I just looked at that verse and says, the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And I said, well, where's my flock? Well, my flock is in Germany. Um, so on that half of a verse, I cashed in my 10 year military career and determined that the Lord wanted me to stay where my flock was and serve there. And that's where he was going to take me from. Well, the second part of that verse, which, which became important later on, it says, the Lord said to me, go, go prophesy unto my people, Israel. Now, brother, I don't have to tell you that, you know, I could open up a Bible with my eyes closed, put my finger down anywhere. And chances are somewhere within the, the neighborhood of that address, it's going to have something to do with Israel, the Jewish people, the Hebrews, the you sure. know, Jerusalem, you know, and, and I, the Lord started dealing with me about Israel. And I thought, how in the world am I going to know for sure? How, how am I going to have confidence and know that that's where the Lord wants me to go? Because I could make anything in the Bible sound like I should go, I could go to Israel. So this is the conversation I was having uh, uh, with the Lord. And, you know, I'd never been to Israel. Uh, I've been to the Middle East a few times, but not that specific place. Um, you know, the only Jewish person that I could ever recall meeting was my third grade teacher in, in Arizona, Miss Stein. Um, beyond that, it just seemed like a, a phenomenal thing. And, and by the way, I'm in Germany, you know, uh, right. what a strange, what a strange thing to have lived. And we ended up living in Germany for 10 years. What a strange thing to live in Germany for 10 years. And then of all places, you know, pivot from that and go to Israel. But, uh, the Lord was faithful. He made it very clear to my, myself and to my wife, uh, that that is where he would have us to go. And uh, so off of that verse, we started making preparations, uh, did our first survey trip in 2011 while we were still living and working in Germany, just finishing up Bible Institute and uh, was able to make a couple more trips there uh, once we started a full-time deputation in 2013 before moving here in 2015. Well, I appreciate you uh, relating the, the the whole progress of that. It sounds like there was a there was a a personal surrender in your own heart to do whatever the Lord wanted you to do, and then there was, of course, a sacrifice that had to be made in between your um, your surrendering to the ministry, whatever that may be, and your deployment for ministry. And that, in right. this case, it sounds like that involved. Um, sacrificing certain certain elements of a of a military a career in the military US military to be in a local church where you knew you could continue to grow in grace and prepare for for the work of God and i think that those um, those intermediary 
sacrifices. Obviously, if those things don't happen, then we don't progress. We don't uh, we don't take the next step toward uh, toward missions deployment. Um, the Lord does. The Lord works with us in in the Lord works with us personally. And and um, of course, this whole thing of calling. You just can't put it in a box because God is a personal God and he deals with his people very personally. And in your case, he gave you some scriptural guidance. I remember recently, and and I'd read in a newsletter, a prayer letter that you had sent out, you had recounted some of the Lord's dealings with you when you were seeking his guidance about the placement of your deployment in ministry. And you related a little story that... Um, that was not, uh, I had not heard it before. And I'm wondering if you wouldn't care to, to recount that seems like there was, there was, a uh, something, uh, related to hospitalization, maybe the birth of a child and coming across a pamphlet of some kind. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So th- this was, this was one of those fantastic things that, uh, that the Lord did. And he, he really did this more so for my wife than he did for me. And so our, um, our son Nathan was uh, about to be born. It was uh, uh, th- the day before New Year's Eve, the night before New Year's Eve, uh, in Germany, and uh, we were, you know, Germany has a, a reputation very clean, very orderly, and that reputation, you know, this witness is true, and uh, certainly in a place like a hospital. And so we were uh, in the hospital to deliver um, our son, and you know she was uh it was middle of the night because that tends to be the time when my wife decides to uh, crank out babies which is you know which is okay and uh so we're kind of in between you know the labor and walking around and trying to alleviate some of the back pain and i was walking with her in kind of the empty foyer of the hospital and uh, after walking uh, for a bit we uh just sat down on a bench there and uh just kind of took a break for a moment and uh sitting uh on the floor just about, uh, you know, maybe a couple of feet at most away from my feet was, uh, you know, just a piece of paper, just some random piece of paper. And it was, uh, you know, again, Germany hospital, random pieces of paper on the floor is not something that you would typically see. And beyond that, my interest in picking up random pieces of paper on the floor, uh, is, is very, very low. So there were some, there were some really unorthodox things going on already at this point, but boredom, tiredness, whatever the case may be, I had to pick up this piece of paper and it was a, uh, it was a little travel brochure, kind of an insert into a newspaper, a magazine, and uh, of all the places that it was, uh, listing for, uh, travel was, uh, Israel. It was a full page, full page brochure going to Israel and on the back of it in German, because this was, you know, we're in Germany, this is a German pamphlet on the back of it. It said, uh, Israel erwartet sie, which means uh, Israel is waiting for you. <laughs> and, I mean, um, brother, my wife is, is just about to give birth. I think maybe within a few hours, our son was born just in the wee hours of, of New Year's Day or New Year's Eve. And I remember looking at this and kind of thinking, wow, this is amazing and showing it to my wife. And my wife will tell you, and, and, you know, this is, I don't know how common this is. I just know that at this point, my wife will say that she was still, still very much struggling with the call. Um, she was, you know, it was, it was scary. It was, she wasn't quite sure whether this was just some, uh, you know, fanciful, uh, you know, product of the environment that we were being raised and trained in spiritually. Um, so she still had massive, uh, reservations about this. And when she saw that her first thought was, Oh no, 
it's it's <laughs> true <laughs> really it, it this is this is not some crazy you know dream of my husband the lord really wants us to go to israel wow. and uh you know at that point you know she still our son was uh you know, he had some challenges uh, when he was born and was was hospitalized again not too long after that. And that period uh, of that uh, of that time was when the Lord really worked on my wife's heart, uh, which is again amazing because she was instrumental in my salvation, instrumental in us finding a good Bible believing church. And then, but but this part was was the hard part for her, and sure. uh, the Lord, you know, kind of uh, molded her heart. And uh, after that, she was uh, she was ready to go. Well, that's I, I, I'm sure that you would, uh, are not proposing that uh, the Lord's dealings in this unique situation are prescriptive for others. But obviously right. <laughs> that uh, that little story, though, does demonstrate uh, it's not that the Lord uh, owed that to you or to your wife or anything, anything of that nature. I mean, you had scripture and you had guidance and and uh, but th- those are the, uh, the those tender kindnesses of the Lord sometimes go a long way to comfort our hearts and to, uh, confirm to us that, that we're, that he's leading and we're following. So that's a interesting little anecdote about how the Lord helped your wife in that regard. So, Amen. And, and if I, and if I can, what, what that has also done is, you know, that was in 2008. Um, we didn't get to the field till 2015. That's a, that, that to me, that sounds like a long time. And, you know, it was, it was a constant reminder through all of the finishing Bible Institute and waiting and feeling like you're ready to go and not having that green light from the Lord, from your pastor, from, you know, not having the, the gates open, but you're still, you're chomping at the bit, ready to go. Um, every, all the ups and downs, all I had to do, I still have that pamphlet. Um, I keep it in my Bible. And whenever there was a doubt, I would go to that scripture in Amos seven and I would, you know, I would take a look at that pamphlet and I would say, nope, this is, these are my orders, you know, and the Lord didn't have to do that, but it it sure did serve as a great physical reminder that even when it looks uh, dark or even when it looks hard, that uh, you just keep your nose pointed forward. You just keep going straight ahead and uh, you know, and the Lord will, will, will direct you and guide you. And uh, that was, that was really, really helpful for us. Amen. Well, brother, I want to, um, I, I, I guess, with given your given that background and your call to minister to Israelis, there there are some other. I, I obviously want to talk to you about some other elements of ministering in Israel, but I want to move. I think from the. Uh, I want to start with a sort of a philosophical, doctrinal, and then move to the logistical, and then more to the ministerial. And I'll take that pamphlet, um, and and I I can see the providential hand of God in the in finding that under the circumstances that you did and the location where you were at. Um, with, with that said, obviously that's pretty unique. I mean, you you don't find uh, a lot of um, a lot of that kind of promotional material to go to certain places to go to China to go to right. um, Africa. There is a there's a certain draw to the land of the Bible to walk where Jesus walked. I have visited the land of Israel myself as a tourist, um, not in any not particularly in a ministerial capacity. And it was a fascinating trip, by the way, and 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 was so beneficial. And I'd recommend 
any minister of the gospel in particular um, would would appreciate uh, to an opportunity to see the land of the Bible. So because of that, because Christianity has its roots all the way back to the Old Testament, uh, Jewish missions is unique among all other kinds of missions, because while every country has its own culture, its own history, no country has the kind of biblical connections and storied history and scriptural sort of culture that Israel has. And I want to ask you about, and I want to try to be careful in, in framing this, and I don't know exactly how to articulate the question, but, I, you, but you'll know where I'm headed with this. I want to ask you about the relationship between Jewish evangelism and from a biblical angle, the Abrahamic covenant, from a modern secular angle, a historical angle, from uh, the relationship between Jewish evangelism and modern day Zionism. And obviously the, the podcast here, my interest is missions and missions, as far as I'm concerned, is about the gospel and anything mm-hmm. that hinders the prop- the propagation of the gospel, or even for that matter, distracts from the propagation of the gospel becomes problematic. Now, as a bit of a qualification, I think you and I are coming from the same basic doctrinal perspective, premillennial, dispensational, and I believe with all my heart that God has obligated himself covenantally to his earthly people, and that informs my understanding of Bible prophecy. But I do detect at times that in relation to evangelicalism, if I'll use that really general term, um, and the the modern state of Israel and ministry in Israel, I detect sometimes a bit of an imbalance. And I'm wondering if you can speak to that, because uh, my perception of, of missions, whether you're talking about Jewish missions, African missions, Asian missions, or whatever, uh, I, I'd, I'd say that that hinges on gospel preaching Mm -hmm. and anything that anything that detracts from that or for that matter that that forbids that is no longer missions and and can become a distraction to um to bible believing christians that are that are engaged in missions so how do you understand the relationship between jewish evangelism and the abrahamic covenant and modern day zionism I, i I don't want to over-articulate the question because I'm hoping that you'll just take it and run with it. And do, do you understand where I'm coming from on, on, on trying to frame this topic? Yeah, I, th- I think, I think I do. And, uh, you know, I think one of the, the key words that you have highlighted in, in framing the question is distraction. Um, because, okay, let, let's start with the, with the Abrahamic covenant. You know, we understand from Genesis 12, Genesis 15, that the, the the covenant deals with the seed of Abraham being blessed generally and speci- receiving the land specifically, and that there are residual blessings that that come with those that uh, that uh, that bless Israel, and there are residual curses that come with those that curse Israel. And so, it's clear from the scriptures that there is a blessing for the nations that accept this doctrinal truth and accept this covenant that that God has made with his, with his physical seed, the seed of Israel, the seed of Abraham. And, uh, and there's, there's a blessing associated with that. Now, my thought has always been what better way to bless Israel than to preach the gospel to them, to equip them to minister to their own people. I mean, it's, 
I don't know that there is a better blessing that you can give to anybody. It's This is not necessarily specific to the Jewish people, but uh, the blessing comes with, with assurance of your salvation, of uh, yeah. a, a relationship with the one true God through Jesus Christ, um, of the peace that passeth understanding and everything that comes with it. Now, here's where the distraction comes in. And, and I believe that, you know, there obviously Israel has a peculiar place in, in the eye and in the heart of God. And because of that, uh, Israel has a peculiar uh, place and focus in the, the plan of the adversary uh, in, in ways that I have not seen. And again, I've lived in, in a couple other cultures and I, I've seen more than just my backyard. So I, I feel like I have a little bit of, of practical wisdom or practical understanding of this. And so anything that Satan can do to distract the body of Christ from that purpose, from that particular blessing, um, he's going to do. And you and I both know, and, and the listeners know, that a distraction doesn't necessarily have to be evil or wickedness or sure. you know some untoward temptation. A distraction is simply a distraction, uh, anything that gets your eye off of the prize. And so what I've seen uh, from a, a multiple angles is that the blessing that comes with Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, has replaced the gospel in the eyes of many yes. when it comes to Israel. Meaning I am more interested as a, as a Bible believing Christian uh, that loves Israel. How do I show that love? Well, I, my job is, or my, my goal is I want that blessing. I bless them that bless thee, curse them that curse thee. I want that blessing. And so how do I manifest that? And you can manifest that politically. You can manifest that financially, uh, materially, um, emotionally. Uh, there are many ways to do that, but the the fact remains that the chief blessing goes along with the Great Commission, and that is preach the gospel to every creature. And what's funny about that is most Jewish people, most Israelis, are regularly told, especially here in Israel, that the reason that most Christians are Zionists if they are, is to get a blessing according to Genesis chapter 12. Now, think about how that is received. Let's say somebody, let's say a Jewish person, an Israeli, was open to, to, to hear the gospel, to consider the gospel. If they have any clue or any feeling that the only reason that I'm approaching them with the gospel is because of what I get out of it, that is going to taint uh, the message. It's going to kind of warp uh, the, the yeah. priorities, if you would. And uh, it's going to make it in increasingly more difficult for them to receive it. And that is, that is what, I mean, you're talking about mainstream media. Uh, I've seen that exact bulleted item a number of times when it's talking about the larger evangelical Christian uh, relationship with with Jewish people and with Israel, and if it's not that, then it's we're trying to hasten the return of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Which both both things, it's it's you're approaching them with even if I am going to give you the gospel, I'm doing it because of what I get out of it, and uh, it's it's a really really twisted way. What it does is either one, it turns that sacrificial love of the gospel into selfishness, which is you can imagine would be ill received in, in any people group in any culture. Well, brother, I'm I, I'm so glad for you to give that, uh, or, or or 
I appreciate you relating that. That's your boots on the ground. I mean, you that's that's why I wanted to get your perspective on this topic, because this really comes down to the issue of motives. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we should be God is interested in in being properly motivated. So I was sort of approaching it from a biblical standpoint. I, I think that sometimes there's an overemphasis of certain biblical truths. And unfortunately, I think that um, sometimes these things are are are, I would say, monetized, sensationalized and opportunists mm-hmm. come in even and I've, I, I believe that I've witnessed this where certain Jewish organizations, say, will yoke up with certain Christian organizations. You see this in the realm of religious television, for instance. And you will, you'll have this partnership that develops where an appeal is made for among Christians in the States for funds that are going to be um, seeking to assist Israelis, let's say, um, helping out an IDF soldier or feeding a, a uh, poor Jewish person or helping someone get from someone in the in the diaspora, say, to get back to Israel. Hmm. But in the background of that, the 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 partnership is predicated on there is no place for Jewish evangelism. Um, we, you, we'll let you we'll let you assist us in this in this humanitarian effort. But the gospel is not a part of this. And there are some personalities within so-called evangelicalism that would go so far as to say that Jews don't have to even have a new birth. That's crazy to me. But I hadn't really so much thought about it from the standpoint that you're relating where there's a general there could be a general pervasive sort of suspicion of of the motives of evangelism and ministry in the land of Israel because you're trying to get brownie points with God by by you know dealing with me as a as a as a Jew and right. sure you're exactly right I, I could see that that would be that's a problem anywhere in the world um, if 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 people doubt your motives and they feel like you're just trying to you're trying to score points with God, by converting them, it's going to be a hindrance to the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. And and the way that the way that that manifests, you know, if I support a Holocaust survivor or you know uh, a, a Jewish family that's in Ukraine that wants to you know immigrate to Israel or uh, an Israeli soldier, if I support Israel politically uh, in some way, the idea is then I've done my Christian duty to the Jewish people, and I can then expect the blessing and favor of God. Um, without just being completely separate from from the gospel, and there's this relationship, and you 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 hinted at it strongly. There's this relationship that exists between Jewish people, Jewish organizations, and Israel at large, and Christian Zionism as a whole. That basically says, we'll take all of the love, all of the support, all of the prayer, all of the resources, all of the publicity and the advocacy. And all of that that you want to give us, just as long as you don't mention that man, and as long as you don't mention that name. And unfortunately, many Christian Zionists, uh, self-professed, would would simply just say, okay, sounds good, as if that's acceptable in the eyes of the Lord. And, you know, there was an organization, uh, there, there are hundreds, uh, if not thousands of organizations, uh, big and small, that that do this. I'm talking about a Christian organization that raises money for some type of need uh, in Israel. 
and you know promotes it as a as a doing our part in recognizing the the Abrahamic covenant. And there was one that was rebuilding a dilapidated part of a of a kibbutz, a, a agricultural community in the Jordan Valley for new immigrants to stay, for uh, soldiers that had just finished their service in the Israeli military to get job training. I mean, you know, some, some nice programs. And it was all being renovated literally by the on the backs financially and physically of Christian Zionists around the world. And they were partnering with a very, very, pro- probably the most well-known Jewish organization that operates worldwide that's not affiliated with the government. And they were constantly, there was, there was constant suspicion, constant accusations, constant, you, you know, you better make sure that you're not, you know, uh, evangelizing and you're not uh, doing, you're not openly being who you're, you profess to be. And, you know, there's from the Jewish perspective, you know, where do they get their name from? They get their name from Jacob, right? He is right. the deceiver. And the, 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 the fruit of that long term has been, he's been, you know, the, the seed of Jacob have always had this thing about being deceived. And, and rightfully so. You look at the history of the Jewish people from the scriptures all the way to modern times, and they have been promised and promised and promised and promised. And they look around and there's the knife in the back. There's the, uh, the breaking of that, uh, of that promise. And so they're very, very suspicious and you can't, to a degree, you can't blame them. And so they are just, the thing that, that I can't get away from is that God's Zionist plan is going to come to fruition, whether anyone supports it or not. Absolutely. The scriptures are just clear about that. And so what hangs in the balance between now and then is the individual soul. And in, in the yes. course of our conversation, the individual Jewish soul, the individual Israeli soul. And God's will is for them to be saved just like anybody else. Right. Does he have a special place for them uh, providentially? Yes. But when it comes to salvation, the scriptures are clear that, uh, that all have to go through the door. Uh, and there is no difference between Jew and Gentile in that regard. So the question that I have then, if God's plan is going to, is going to pass uh, regardless of who supports it or doesn't, or how they support it. And if our focus is the Great Commission, is giving the gospel, how are they going to hear? These organizations that are pouring money in and flying the Israeli flag and doing all of these things and promoting and, and what, whatnot, they, exi- they seemingly exist for every other purpose other than to get the gospel to people in Israel. And that just happens to be their number one need. And their second and third needs are not anywhere close to that. <laughs> right. Well, to to be clear, and and I know that you and I are on the on totally on the same page with this. As an American, as a citizen, I want to see my country support Israel. I think it is yeah. in our national interest to support Israel. But as yeah. a Bible believing Christian, as a missions minded Christian, my the the primary way that I'm interested in supporting Israel is by supporting you and other workers that are engaged in the Great Commission among Israelis, which involves evangelism, discipleship, church planting. That's got to be the priority. And right. and some of these other things represent a, dis- a distraction. I think that in some cases, it's actually more nefarious than that. It's, 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 mm-hmm. There's an antagonism that's been embraced um, to the detriment of, of the and, and cause of the gospel. 
And so um, I, I, I'm thankful for the balance that you that, that you proposed here. And, uh, and, and I do think that that's important to keep our bearings in relation to this Great Commission work among all peoples, in, including Israelis. That's a good stopping point for this interview with Brother Mo on ministering in Israel. In the second installment of this conversation, we'll discuss the visa challenges associated with missionary work in Israel and the actual work of Jewish evangelism from within Israel. The rest of the interview is every bit as helpful and clarifying as this first segment. Thanks for tuning in. You can subscribe to this program wherever you receive your podcasts. And if it's been a blessing to you, please feel free to invite others to tune in. I always welcome your feedback. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond.